Oh, wow, that was quick. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, this is the Wednesday, October the 5th edition. Uh, for you who may be tuning in to uh, watch the uh, show about the South Carolina flood, we have had to delay that till October the 19th. Uh, obviously, Hurricane Matthew, uh, the big story in the uh, the entire eastern coast part, especially in the southeast, which is uh, our uh, coverage area. So we are dedicating tonight to uh, tracking Matthew. Uh, we're going to skip all the uh, weather introductions and all that around the areas. Uh, we've got a lot of our meteorologist friends here who are on their break right now before they go back to TV. So uh, we're going to skip that. I'm going to actually hand it over to Ricky Matthews. Uh, Ricky's uh, compiled an agenda for us tonight to I kind of discuss everything with uh, Hurricane Matthew. And then um, as we are going throughout the show, I will say uh, if you have any questions or any specific uh, questions or anything like that, please feel free to uh, send them via our uh, Twitter page, Facebook. I think we're up on Facebook Live, so uh, we'll be streaming that as well. Uh, we've got some guys behind the scenes looking at all our social media stuff. So if you do have questions, uh, please feel free to uh, share those with you, and we'll get those answered as quickly as possible. So I think I've covered everything with uh, with the housekeeping stuff. So, Ricky, go ahead and give it to you as uh, we start tonight's conversation. All right. Sounds good. I, uh, I wanted to start off tonight by kind of recapping what's going on with the storm right now and kind of giving you the 8 p.m. advice. Maybe you were just tuning in, you had dinner, and you were catching this on social. The 8 p.m. advice from the Hurricane Center just came out on this storm. It has wind sustained at 115 miles per hour, pressure at 962 millibars, and moving northwest at 12 miles per hour. So what I'd like to do is uh, allow Shay, who's arguably maybe our tropical expert on our regular panel, to come on here for a second and kind of give us a brief overview of what the storm's doing right now. And then we'll transition a little bit into the forecast side, getting Garrett in first since he's down in Florida, one of the areas that'll be impacted uh, before anyone else. Hey, Ricky, thank you very much. I'm gonna uh, do a screen share. Let me know when, when you can see it. I'm gonna get Matthew up on the screen. We are good. You're good, okay. So Matthew has, uh, come across eastern Cuba as of last night and early this morning, moving up into the southern Bahamas and towards the central Bahamas. And uh, the eye wall was basically the outer wall collapsed as that western side of the system hit the mountainous areas of Cuba. And so some of that drier air sort of had its effects on the system. As it's pulled to the north, it, it looks like it's having a tough time uh, regenerating an eye wall around or having a restructuring phase, but it is moving over warm waters over the Bahamas. So I definitely wanted to take a quick peek at one of the um, one of the things that I like to take a look at with these systems is the tropical cyclone heat potential, if I can get that to load. Sorry, I had it up on my um, windows earlier and then now it's not there anymore. But either way, uh, it is moving over warmer waters and it could re-strengthen back to uh, up towards the 120, 125 mile an hour mark. So we're expecting this to remain a category three and possibly even uh, restrengthened to a category four. So you can see the track here, the National Hurricane Center keeping this at a three and then developing to a four as it enters into the Northern Bahama chain. Uh, if we look at the track for this, here's the track guidance, keeps it as a major hurricane as it closes in on the coast of Florida. And then it sort of just travels along the coast. Now this uh, cone of uncertainty, uh, the margin of error is is getting smaller and smaller. So usually four days out, you're about 175 miles uh, from the center. And then at four days out, you're 233, I think it is. Uh, but as we get closer and closer in time, this cone closes, and then that becomes more of a certainty. So the hurricane warnings are going up through to, to Daytona and extending the watch all the way up to the Savannah River. So the National Weather Service Charleston is already picking up on that 
off of our coast of South Carolina seeing the offshore hurricane watch in effect as of right now, but not along the immediate coast. So the National Hurricane Center has it here, but then the weather services along your local areas along the coastline, be sure to be tuning into them because those are your best source for what's going on locally for your area. And I'm going to hand that back to you, Ricky. All righty. And speaking of best sources, um, as you showed the track there, one of the areas that's going to be impacted first is, of course, Florida, getting very close from that time frame tomorrow and into early Friday, where we're going to start seeing some of the coastal impacts and even the inland impacts of Matthew on the Florida coastline. Uh, I want to bring in Garrett Biedenbaugh, who's down in Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville Beach, Florida, I guess, uh, and have him kind of comment a little bit on how this storm has evolved over today. Garrett, we've seen kind of that track along the coastline perhaps gets shifted slightly further towards the coast. It almost looks like it may do an entire run up the coastline, um, making landfall or falls. Yeah, definitely. And the interesting thing about this is, you know, this past weekend when I was on television talking about it, it was, you know, hey, it's going to stay to the east. It's good news. And each day the track has gotten farther west and west each time. Uh, And so that's what we've been trying to relay to our to our viewers here in northeast Florida and southeastern Georgia. Um, And yeah, today it definitely does look like it skirts up the coast. Now, whether it makes landfall near Cape Canaveral or just to the east of Cape Canaveral, uh, that's one of the big questions here, because obviously that would have impacts down the road for us in Jacksonville, uh, you know, potentially weakening somewhat with some of the, the wind speeds and the effects and some of it staying offshore, hopefully. Um, so, you know, the farther west obviously is not good for the folks south of us, but it is a little bit better for Jacksonville uh, particular uh, for the impacts here. But we're still expecting uh, 10 to 15 plus, maybe even some 25 footers just offshore with the waves um, and some of the breakers could get over our dunes here. And so that wouldn't be good news for Jacksonville beach, first, second, third street. Uh, once it goes past the dunes that some of that water will get in. Um, and of course the winds our, our wind gusts forecast models are showing 80 to hundred mile per hour gusts at times, just along the immediate coast. Uh, so that's going to be another issue. Uh, the folks here have not seen in quite some time. The last evacuation we've seen was Floyd, uh, and the only direct impact or last one that we know of was uh, Dora in 1964. So that's the one everybody talks about here. Similar to South Carolina, everybody talks about Hugo. Here in Jacksonville, everybody talks about Hurricane Dora uh, in 1964. Talk a little bit about storm surge for a second. I mean, we've got a lot of low-lying areas. We've got a lot of tidal areas in the state of Florida. Uh, it looks like Kennedy Space Center perhaps very much at risk for storm surge and in areas north of there as well. Yeah. And, you know, I saw this on Twitter today. Everybody was saying, what about our Gozar satellite? We don't want that thing to get messed up, right? I mean, everybody's wanting to go down the launch on November 4th. Uh, so hopefully that won't take a, a blow with that building that it's in. Uh, but yeah, storm surge, definitely an issue. Uh, the latest uh, forecast for the National Hurricane Center for our area uh, would be uh, five to eight feet at high tide, uh, for which includes Jacksonville for northeast Florida and southeastern Georgia. I think that forecast goes all the way up through the Savannah River as well now. Uh, and so the prototype uh, storm surge watch uh, is includes Jacksonville now. We've been showing that on the air uh, just because, you know, it's, and then we show the storm surge uh, potential as well with the um, inundation maps that the National Hurricane Center uh, gives out because I don't believe there's a way to get it into WSI yet, Max. Um, so we've been showing that. We've been trying to tell people, you know, our inland communities will not feel as much. They'll kind of, you know, it'll be windy and some tropical storm force conditions. But the, the coastal areas here 
uh, in Jacksonville and the Brunswick area, which we serve there in southeastern Georgia, definitely going to feel the most uh, impacts, obviously, uh, with this. And with the storm surge, uh, we can now see at high tide, you know, and we could have a couple cycles of high tide uh, that that would be. And you can see uh, there's some storm surge uh, maps there. Um, that's what we're really worried about here. And because, you know, obviously it's been a while since Florida has been seeing a major hurricane, and that's been Wilma back in 2005. One last question for you, and then we'll try to move a little bit further north for a while and then cycle back if necessary. Is there any uncertainty still with the storm in your area? And if so, when will you kind of know for more, have more confidence in those uncertainties? Yeah, the uncertainty is, as usual, the track. I mean, a couple miles, 25 to 50 miles west or east, will have a big impact on our forecast. And that uh, is mainly with the winds. I think we're, we're going to have the waves regardless here. Uh, and so dangerous surf. We've been telling people, please don't get into it. You know, you can say it till you're blue in the face, and some folks still will, unfortunately. Uh, so the waves are going to be a pretty, pretty spot-on forecast, I think, um, 15 to 20-plus feet uh, with breakers there. Uh, and it is of note that Floyd took out the Jacksonville Beach Pier, about 40 feet of it, I think. Um, so hopefully that won't happen uh, this time. Uh, but the track forecast really depends on if it's weaker by the time it gets to Jacksonville, if it has some land interaction by Cape Canaveral or the latest GFS I saw was south in Fort Pierce. Uh, that would really weaken the system. And so the winds would be a little bit down for our, our viewing area here in Jacksonville. Uh, and so that's the biggest what if. And when we'll know, I, I would say by tomorrow evening, we'll have a, a better idea of what to tell folks as it makes its way. And if it's still going northwest or more north-northwest, uh, by the time it leaves Nassau or Andros Island in the Bahamas, uh, we'll know a little bit more by then. All right. Very good. Uh, I want to jump a little bit further. We're going to try to take this state by state. And unfortunately, we don't have anyone on the panel from Georgia. Uh, but kind of going off the track there, I'll let Shay maybe talk a little bit about that, too, since he's arguably closest to the state of Georgia in uh, Charleston. And Jim, I want to bring you in as well to kind of talk about the South Carolina impacts. I'd like, Jim, if you would, to comment on the evacuations as we've seen some of the cars reaching their way up to the Columbia area now. Let's start with Shay down in Charleston. You guys are under an evacuation order, some of your coastal counties. How are things down there? And then what impacts are you expecting along the coastline? Well, everything seems to be rolling along pretty well with the I-26 lane reversal. We haven't had that since Hurricane Floyd back in 1999. So they pulled the trigger three days early. And I think it was a good move because there's so many more people living along the coastline now. They pretty much designated, I think, zones one and two, which is Charleston, Berkeley County. Uh, so they're kind of doing this zone at a time, but uh, they opened the lanes up a little after 3 p.m. today. And once that started, everything started flowing pretty well. And um, I see a webcam there now. I-26 West looks looks like it's flowing pretty well. A lot of people have left town. The gas stations were quite a um, chaotic mess yesterday. Uh, roads were blocked. You couldn't really get anywhere for a while. Just people were kind of freaking out and wanting to get gas all of a sudden. But uh, more trucks have come in since last night and refilled the gas stations, So it's not as hard anymore. So I'm hoping uh, to be able to get around a little bit easier now that most of the traffic is out of here. Uh, as far as impacts, I've looked at our extratropical storm surge map for the area. And let me um, share a screen with you, if you would. Let me know when you can see it up on the screen. Gotcha. Okay, so, you know, this is, this is kind of experimental, but it's a pretty good guide. It actually does pretty well for the southeast region. Uh, if we look at Fernandina, we can see the... the the black lines for the viewers out there, this represents the prediction 
for the higher than normal tide, the blue line represents the predicted tide. And so what you have is an anomaly between that and the higher surge of water coming into the area. So Fort Pulaski, Savannah area looks like they could see about almost a four foot surge at the peak on Friday at high tide. Now, one thing that we have going for us in favor is that we are in a neap tide phase, which means the high tide is actually lower than normal and the low tide is higher than normal. So the width in between is uh, minimal. So we're very, very lucky with that, that this is going you know, almost two feet over high astronomical tide value. It could be a lot worse, but that's still gonna be some pretty severe flooding, coastal shallow flooding, especially some of the roads going into Fort Pulaski, for example. Uh, I'm sorry, this is Fernandina, not uh, Fort Pulaski, but you, you can see that the, how high the tide goes. If we go back out to the southeast and actually look at Fort Pulaski, you see the highest value going up to about 11 feet. So down that way, they have about a seven foot tidal swing, but you can see it's lower around 6.2 or three, but um, it goes up almost, almost five feet above normal. So that's the expected surge there. Uh, looking at the Charleston area, you can see that the, the values right now, this is mostly in association with driving northeast winds. We actually have a northeast wedge set up along the southeast region right now, driving additional water uh, down into our area. So this, this is already ongoing right now, higher than normal. Tomorrow, we're gonna be expecting near seven feet. And then the tide drops a little bit more, so the, the higher than normal tide doesn't go up as high. But you can see what happens Friday into Saturday where we get above seven and a half feet. Uh, so we're looking at, yeah, this is, this is general guidance, but about three, I would say three to five feet on our surge overall, uh, just based on some of the guidance there. In terms of winds, Jim, let's bring you in here since you've got a great graphic up behind you and you may be muted uh, as fair warning on your computer. So uh, watch that. And maybe on the computer itself, actually, um, on the on the Hangout monitor. There should be a little red button at the top with a microphone symbol that may be uh, muted. That was our doing at the start uh, as you first joined. But what I want to do is bring Jim in and have him talk a little bit about the winds and how they're going to perhaps be pretty strong at the coastline and perhaps even a little bit inland as we go through time yeah. here as well. There you go, Jim. We're good All now. right, good. Hey, we're technologically challenged right now. <laughs> uh, when you know this would occur in the midst of us moving into our weather center, which is not complete. Uh, so we're having to kind of fool with a lot of things. Uh, as far as winds are concerned, quite frankly, it depends on where the, the storm goes. Uh, what I've got behind me is actually the American model. So if you're wondering where the data is coming from, that's what's generating it. And depending on what model you look at, you're gonna get different values. Uh, obviously the strongest winds are gonna be along the coast. Uh, on this particular graphic, uh, you can see Columbia. This is, these are wind gusts, by the way. It's got wind gusts to 46 miles per hour. Well, maybe that's the wind gust on the top of Williams-Brice Stadium. Here at the surface, we're thinking our highest wind gusts are probably going to be about 35 miles per hour sustained, about 15 to 25. So in Columbia, it's not going to be that bad, and we're going to see some rain. But the, the amazing thing is how fast – or how much the rain increases as you go to the coast. Here in Columbia, we're expecting maybe one to two inches of rain, but by the time you get to the coast, probably going to see you know six to twelve inches of rain. And that's an important thing, uh, Patrick and Shay. You guys have been having a pretty rainy season, especially Patrick up in portions of North Carolina recently. I mean, even in southwest, southeast Virginia, excuse me, we've got rainfall totals eight inches above our average. Yeah, we're running about 150 to 200% above normal right now for the last 30 days. 
So it's been a very rainy period for us in eastern North Carolina. Meanwhile, you can't buy a drop over in the western half of the state. Uh, you know, it, that's what we've been kind of focusing in on is even though that we may not have the strongest of winds and we do expect to have some tropical storm force winds and can't completely rule out for some of our coastal areas uh, down around Brunswick County and the southern tip of New Hanover County uh, to possibly see uh, maybe a couple of hurricane force gusts um, with the rainfall that we've had the last several days. You, you think of uh, the flooding up in Fayetteville last week. Um, technically, we don't uh, we don't go all the way over to Fayetteville. They're part of our viewing area, but not part of our ADI, uh, part of our uh, DMA. But uh, they got you know 13 inches of rain up on the headwaters of the Cape Fear River, and that's been draining down through Bladen County the last couple of days. You got the Northeast Cape Fear River that's backed up about two or three feet above normal. Uh, so it's not a good situation for our local rivers, and also just the saturated ground anymore. And a little bit of wind, all of a sudden you've got uh, some tree damage and, and possibly uh, power outages to go along with it as well. So, and our biggest problem right now is also trying to figure out when does that turn happen with uh, Matthew. That has kind of been the toughest part of this is when does it make the turn? Does it make it off of Charleston or does it come up closer to, say, Cape Romaine or, or Myrtle Beach and start to make the turn? Um, and that, you know, 15, 20 miles it means the difference of, you know, possibly hurricane force gusts near the beaches and uh, more rain uh, to go along with it as well. So we're still right now still trying to figure out the highest impacts. We finally put out some numbers today and, you know, the 12Z European comes down and almost obliterates everything that we had put together this afternoon. Uh, we didn't go off of just one model run, but we had to we had to throw something out there and the the wonder is, is does it come a little farther north like the European at 12Z would suggest? And um, we end up with 12 inches of rain in New Hanover County, which right now I don't think we can really handle a whole lot, especially farther inland. Now, granted, New Hanover and uh, most of Brunswick County is more of a sandy soil, so that helps us. But farther inland, I mean, it, you get into the, the mud of things and it starts to get a little bit uh, worse when it comes to the flooding situation. And you made a very good point there talking about, you know, the track of the storm. And it's been varying. We've seen many different solutions from the models on this. First, I'm taking it out to sea, then kind of pushing it back across North Carolina, even up into New England one time. And Brad, I want to bring you in here since you were up late last night with all of us looking at the latest GFS run come in. And I think that wins the award for craziest model run we've seen so far. But you tweeted last night that, while it may look crazy, synoptically, perhaps it's not that crazy. And after you explain, I'd like to open it up to all the other panel members if you guys have any thoughts on what the track may do. Yeah, I think the loop is less crazy with that run last night than I think the fact that it made a second landfall as a Cat 5. That was probably more bizarre. The loop itself actually isn't that bizarre because if you looked at the 12Z and 18Z um, European ensembles and GFS ensembles, they both had about five to eight members, I believe, that showed a loop. So there were hints in the earlier runs that there was something going on there. So when you saw the, the GFS in the evening, I started looking at the 500 millibar chart and you kind of saw why it was doing that. It was being left behind by the trough. Um, Nicole had kind of weakened the ridge over the Western Atlantic and made a little weakness there and shoved the ridge below it. 
and essentially it goes into no man's land. So when people see these spaghetti plots and you see a curve like that or a loop, it's not only necessarily that the model is saying there's going to be a loop. The model is basically telling you that the steering currents are going to disappear. And it's going to be in a period of no steering at all. So the way the model handles that is it drifts it. It kind of loops it around. It's kind of like um, if you ever seen a leaf get caught in a little eddy in a creek or stream behind a rock, it'll sit there and do a couple loops and then it gets picked back up by the current and goes out. That happens in the atmosphere as well. The one thing I will note, though, that is probably um, something to keep in mind is when you look at these models, these models are being posted a lot with this storm, obviously. You kind of got to know what's going into these models. Where's the data coming from? And, you know, how, how good are these models performing? And the European model um, has really excelled in the forecast in the last five days. It's actually had a lower position error than the National Hurricane Center forecast. So it's done extremely well. And while we throw the GFS under the bus sometimes, it's actually done pretty well as, as well. It's done in the short term, it's done pretty good. And the UK Met of all models has done pretty well. Um, on top of that, the one thing I did want to share, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully share, let's see if I can get this to work, is to show you guys my screen here real quickly, because this is a really cool feature um, that's on the, on the net NSET page. And this shows you the number of drop sounds that get into the GFS model. This was the 18Z run, and there were 40 18Z run from the Global Hawk, the, Na um, the NASA Global Hawk upper air um, basically reconnaissance drone. And on top of that, we also had, I don't know if I can get this to pop up, if I can show the other screen here. Oh, there's my screen again. Let me see if I can show this next screen. This is actually the number of RAOBs or upper air um, soundings that went into the 18Z run. So you had 30 drops on and almost 65 extra, or say 65, you had about 65 extra Rayobs go into the afternoon run. So these 18Z runs actually had a lot more data than a lot of the freak, uh, the last couple of runs that we've seen recently um, from a lot of the model guidance. And another thing that I thought was really fascinating is that the Gulf Stream is back out there tonight doing another upper air um, reconnaissance mission off the southeast coast. So it'll be interesting to see how the models end up performing now. Um, let me get this off your screen there. Um, now that we have this extra data showing up in the model. So this will be interesting to see if that loop continues. And the other thing to note tonight is don't lose sight of Nicole off to the east. Nicole is actually holding its own and is going to get really close here in the next day or so to Matthew. And I think there could be some influence, maybe a little bit of a tug or a repel, depending on how strong the ridge is in between the two. Good points. Intriguing. And good points to just kind of bring up for discussion. Uh, Gary, let's bring you in real quick because, I mean, the track, as you've mentioned, kind of is going to be your main player. Mm -hmm. So how much are you guys looking run to run at this kind of stuff? We're looking at it very closely. I mean, each one, you know, we're in these newscasts and now everybody has so many newscasts these days. You try to, like, remember to do the meteorology in between. Uh, so we're looking at those as they come in each time. And as of note, just real quick before I forget, I just saw uh, on Twitter – this is what we're gonna be looking at. Uh, the waters are unbelievably warm, uh, and as they typically are, but a little bit above average near where Matthew is right now. Michael Larry just tweeted uh, from the Weather Channel, an ocean drop just found 12 nautical mile or 12 miles east of Matthew, mid 80s 
all the way down to 400 feet. So that's about 120 meters. So it's absolutely boiling bathwater out there uh, for Hermine to work with, as well as some of the upper level influences. Uh, and so as Brad was saying, the more data, NOAA's throwing everything they can at this, uh, which is you know good for us. We have a balloon going up uh, every uh, four times a day. Uh, here at Jacksonville, we're fortunate enough to have a, uh, a site here at Jacksonville, which is just awesome to look at every day. Uh, but so they're giving up more information into that. And so the, each track is is something that we've been noticing. Obviously, we talked a bit before that the, the westward shift each time and it's going back six hours, 12 hours, and it comes back six hours closer, or, you know, Friday night, Friday afternoon, Friday, 2 a.m., early Saturday. So that's kind of the thing we're monitoring right now. And then, again, the, the Nicole factor into the, the weakness of the ridge has just been fascinating to watch. Um, and also, you know, at one point, it almost looked like it had like a uh, – during last night, it was just amazing to watch on satellite. Obviously, everybody was talking about the, the skull picture uh, on Twitter, uh, which was – kind of cool to look at. But at one point, it almost had little two little swirls on many eye, uh, concentric eye wall replacement cycle uh, going on. And so this this storm has been been fascinating. And, you know, as of now, the, the short-term forecast looks pretty spot on uh, going over Nassau into near Andros Island, which is, I've been there on a mission trip before and with church, and it's it's pretty flat, a lot of low-lying areas, and, and it's not well-built homes. So hopefully those people can, can uh, and there's that tweet I was talking about from Michael, um, so the track is obviously very important. If it goes south, it's weaker for us in Jacksonville. If it goes north, we have a little bit worse of a time here with the winds. And again, like I said, the waves are a pretty good factor, pretty good forecast so far. Um, they're, they're telling everybody in zone A, zone B here, which is basically our Jacksonville beach area, uh, to go ahead and evacuate. They close the bridges at 40 miles per hour, sustained winds here. Uh, and so everybody always asked about, asks about that here. Uh, in Jacksonville. So they're going to be closed likely at some point uh, with the sustained winds, depending on the track again. Uh, but our inland communities, it won't be as bad. But our, our our beaches, this is going to be kind of a generational thing. Garrett, that's a really interesting point you brought up about the, the water temperatures. Uh, in fact, uh, let me go back to screen share again. Uh, talked about that in a couple of blogs that I had where we talk about the tropical cyclone heat potential. And the epipelagic layer is the top layer of water, the, what's called the photic zone. And that goes down to about 650 feet. So that's really interesting that they brought, uh, they got readings from that sun down to 400 feet. That's almost the entire pelagic zone or the epipelagic zone. And we see that there's a lot of this potential, this heat potential over the Bahamas now. Uh, with relaxed shear and enough surface fuel, this could blow back up to, you know, I wouldn't call it early as a category four, but um, it certainly has a potential there. Uh, Sport SST from NASA's image from today shows these very warm waters of that area, 85 to 86 degrees. And then the Gulf Stream is still right around 85 to 86 degrees. And we can see that northeast wedge sort of having that cool air, cool water effect down along the northern side of it. So, yeah, I totally agree with you on these these water temperatures being warm enough. I mean, 80, uh, 82.4 is optimal. And then if above that, it all becomes just more surface fuel for these systems. I want to open up a question here off to anyone really on the panel who wants to take it. But when we're talking about this curve, right, what are the key factors going into that? And what are we going to have to watch over the next day or two to try and determine when that curve occurs? 
I think what you're going to have to see is the, the first part of this is the trough. Does it miss the trough coming down to pick it up? Because what's driving the storm right now clearly is the ridge off to the east. Um, that ridge isn't going to really do much in the next couple of days. To me, the real question is, does the trough get far enough south to grab it or does it miss it? And if we see it missing it, then you got to start thinking, okay, is it going to start rotating around that ridge um, as the ridge builds back below it and back into the Gulf of Mexico? And that's what would actually end up shoving it east as it waits for the next trough to dig down here. And I, I still think watching the coal is going to be really important because I, I'm looking at um, my GR Earth here right now, and I'm going to share my screen just real quickly. Um, and you can see how close these storms, they're actually not that far apart right now. <laughs> um, you can see off to the right here, Nicole, nice blossom there. And then look at the um, the center of the eye trying to reform with Matthew. And look at the northern eye wall really establishing itself. And I think one thing to note, I, I don't know if it's a wobble or not, but if you notice, I have the track on here. It looks to me like it might be just a little bit east of the short-term track, maybe by a hair. And I don't read too much into that because just because of a wobble as the northern eye wall has kind of taken over. But typically when the convection blows up on the north side of the eye wall, it tends to pull the eye wall in that direction or just the center in that direction just a little bit. So I think watching Nicole and watching that trough will be the two things I'm looking at. Patrick, earlier today we saw the European model come in a little bit further north than the GFS model. Looking at it myself, it kind of just looked like a very minuscule difference in when the trough came in that kind of caused that. Right? Yeah, it uh, really was. And it was kind of like a six hour difference. And you saw the European just sneak it a little farther to the north and it really just kind of dump rain on top of us, on top of the wind aspect as well. So we had to look at that and say, all right, so what are, what are we going to do as far as our forecast is concerned? Um, and Gary brought up a good point about bridges because we've got a, a whole bunch of them here. And actually, we've already gotten a couple of towns that are in the process of evacuations, uh, Topsail Islands in the, in the process of, of evacuation. It's a, a voluntary evacuation. And I can't remember. I think it was uh, I think Oak Islands underneath a uh, state of emergency started evacuations at this point. Um, but one thing that was brought up about bridges today, most of our bridges, actually, I, they said that all of our bridges will not shut down. And that goes for any one of our bridges, and that includes the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge and the Isabel Holmes Bridge, which are both um, uh, drawbridges. They'll lock the bridges down so they don't fluctuate, but they said that they weren't going to do that because they're main arteries. And right now, because of the, all the construction in Wilmington, they can't really afford to not have an evacuation route. So uh, as far as that's concerned, it, it, I think that they would do that at uh, sustained winds of 45 miles per hour is when they would lock down the bridges that they could not go back up until after the sustained winds go below 45 miles per hour. Um, and when it comes to just the small you know, small, small scale issues. This is going to be a situation that we just have to watch until the very end. I mean, as far as what we are concerned with up this way, with how this all plays out, because just a little difference between 5, 10, 15 miles really determines how much of an impact it will have on us. Now, we had a big issue today. We, had, we did a big Facebook Live this afternoon, and people were coming on there and saying, 
oh, you guys said that it was going is turning, and they thought that because the cone shift was offshore, that that was going to eliminate us from any impacts. We're like, no, we never said that. We never said that at all. Uh, and all they saw was the fact that that little icon, the little icon on WSI that says a two on there was way offshore. So they thought that's not, that means that we're going to get a miss and that doesn't mean anything for me. We're really confused whenever we hop on there today and start asking about, okay, so I thought that this wasn't going to be an issue anymore. And I just thought, I just went to the grocery store to go to the grocery store. Like, no, there's still issues that will be had even with this turn. So that's another point that we have to get out there. And I think that that was kind of the social media aspect of this. It seemed that people just kind of went on a, a rampage this afternoon whenever they saw the track cones shift. And they're like, oh, well, that, that means nothing. And then they're like, well, looks like nothing's going to happen here, folks. See you later. We don't have any problems here. <laughs> I think – and that's – and I think that that owes up to the problem of social media now is that people that wanted to be the best meteorologists in the world, just random Joes want to be the world's best meteorologists, but of course they're the best politicians during the debates as well. So we'll see how that all plays out. Jim may have the, the greatest example in a visual form right behind him <laughs> of not being where the eye is, but still having an impact. I mean, Columbia is seeing still, you know, more rain perhaps than we see, during a typical week-long period. Well, you know, uh, can you hear me okay? Because I had a little technical problem. Okay. Um, around here, we're still reeling from uh, the flood of a year ago. Uh, of the 51 dams that failed, only four have been uh, uh, repaired. Uh, and so tonight, uh, the state is asking dam owners to lower the level of their, uh, of their ponds and their lakes uh, in anticipation of some heavy rains that might be coming into the area. The impacts here in the Midlands are just not going to be that great. By the way, uh, y'all were mentioning the evacuation. The lane reversals went in, into effect today on I-26, and everything seems to be moving pretty well. Uh, in fact, about the average time that we've been able to estimate is it takes about two hours to get from Charleston to Columbia, which isn't that much different from a regular day. Part of it is the fact that they're not evacuating the entire coast at the same time. Part of it is a lot of people left early. Um, the situation up here, I heard someone talk about the gas situation in Charleston. Up here last night, there were, t uh, there were gas stations running out of gas, but that situation has been alleviated. So if they come from Charleston, they shouldn't have any problem getting gas here in Columbia. All right. Yeah, we have our, our gas is running out down here. <laughs> we're getting it left and right. And, and unfortunately, I, I, you know, being the weatherman, I, uh, I went yesterday before the, the cone really kind of started shifting really west. Uh, and, and got some stuff and, and some gas. But yeah, the, we're having gas stations run out as we speak right now, premium only, that'll start to run out. And then mm -hmm. and then also the water is going and all the supplies to it at local grocery stores. By the way, we have a football game Saturday night, <laughs> USC versus Georgia. And uh, I've been in contact with them. Uh, they are going to make the decision on when the game is going to be played tomorrow. Uh so if you have tickets and you want to go and uh, it's going to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be here in Columbia. They just haven't decided whether it's going to be Saturday night or Sunday. 
Oh, speaking of uh, Saturday, as the Georgia alum on the panel, I feel like I should insert some smack talk here. But I, I... <laughs> <laughs> hey, all I can say is the Volunteers won. <laughs> they, I agree. That was a really nice throw right there at the end of the game. Unbelievable. Weather to football. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. C- carry on, Ricky. Hand in hand. Sorry. And now on the sports. It's October after all. I mean, hey, that's all right. My, that season. my alma mater lost Florida State. Ooh. Ooh. We won't yeah. talk about the Charlotte versus yeah. UNC Charlotte's undefeated. So, <laughs> who have they played? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey guys, I'm gonna have to go. I gotta go back to be on the 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock news. But uh, thanks for having me on, uh, and hopefully I'll be able to text your tweet with you the coming days. <laughs> thanks, Gary. We appreciate it. Take All care right. and uh, get a little bit of sleep if you can. I will definitely be doing so. Hopefully <laughs> tonight, at least. All right, thanks. Jim mentioned uh, Saturday sports. I want to bring Brad in because we've got other sports in uh, Charlotte this weekend with it's some inland effects with the NASCAR race being in town. What are we looking at with that, and uh, uh, how mad are the folks at the track going to be? Yeah, it's um, you know we got two races. We got the Xfinity race on Friday night, and um, which I'm I'm hoping to take my kids to, um, and they're excited to go. And I don't like the looks of Friday night right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Saturday's race, which is a 7:20 um, evening race at the track, the Bank of America 500, which is on my network NBC. Um, so it's on the big broadcast network, which is a big deal. Cause only, I think three of the race, um, the Uh-oh. chase uh, races are actually on air and this is one of them. So, um, so this will be interesting to see how Saturday goes. I think, I think the Xfinity race will probably be, they'll try to run it, but I have a bad feeling it's not going to happen. And I think they'll try to do a double, uh, on Saturday, possibly if this track holds true, we actually could dry out late afternoon, early evening. So that's a lot. I mean, that's a close call because right now um, our in-house model, RPM model actually has it clearing out pretty quickly in the afternoon Mm -hmm. because we get some downsloping and some, some northerly winds. So we go from tomorrow and Friday, this easterly upslope flow, which gives us a bunch of drizzly, showery, wet weather to downslope flow as, as the storm moves away and it clears us out. And so that's a lot of moving parts to try to <laughs> pin down for a forecast. But I'll tell you right now, I think I'm about 70% sure they'll get that race in. They've got a ton of jet dryers coming in on um, the air Titans and everything. And the one nice thing is actually going to be windy. So it should help dry yeah. the track out. <laughs> and so you got to have faith in the NASCAR vortex theory. Yes. <laughs> Somebody better send some wine down to Wilmington because if that's playing on NBC, we are screwed. <laughs> yeah, my, my boss already asked me if we were going to go wall to wall because NBC wanted to know. They're trying to figure out which stations are going to blow out the race for wall to wall coverage in the Southeast, which is NASCAR country. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get cussed out. Um, I, let me go ahead and prepare myself. <laughs> let me just go ahead and prepare myself. And even better, think all the meteorologists who, if this gets rain delayed, NBC goes goes past eleven, they yeah. get to stay later that night too. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's gonna. Be, I think it's gonna go on late, regardless. You know, just because how they get it starts at seven twenty to get that race in completely by eleven would be tough. Well, we will see. Uh, we have a, a betted interest in it, of course. And uh, Brad and Scotty and I will be tweeting as we go through the next couple of days with some weather updates from the track. Yeah. If I don't get sent to Newburn. <laughs> 
if I get some <laughs> yeah so so here's the thing i i have coverage of friday night's event so if it gets rained out it's it's my fault but if if ricky yeah. doesn't go to newburn then ricky's friday night so all the blame can be placed on on ricky instead of me uh, so. okay i already worked <laughs> for anything, so what do I, no different than my typical day job um <laughs> back on topic for a moment we did have a viewer question come in and i'll let whoever wants to take this uh respond to it but someone was asking about flights out of raleigh uh what was it saturday and sunday um that came from nick on youtube yeah that's a, that's always a tough one in charleston we've had that same question brought up several times i even tweeted straight to the charleston airport and as far as they're concerned it's business as usual until they lose power or something drastic happens but they're telling everyone check with your individual airlines because those are their planes and their property and that's the best advice you can give is just to tell one people, you know, look, call your airline. If you have any questions about anything, you're probably get, there's probably gonna be waits on the phone. I can't even imagine how long you would wait, but um, that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. Shay, that's a good, I mean, you get these questions a lot. All of us do about, is this going to be canceled? Is this, there's some of these that are out of our specialty or our expertise of meteorology. Some things like, you know, Jim's talking about the game up in Columbia. A lot of the issues up there could be just evacuees and resources having to be pulled to other locations that cause you to cancel an event. It had nothing hey. to do with the weather per se. It has to do with drawing away uh, fire officials, medic, uh, highway patrol people. If they have to go somewhere else, they can't cover another event. That event could get canceled just because of the resources. And I might add to Brad that uh, here, um, a lot of the, the reason why there are no hotel rooms is because they're all booked for the Georgia people coming over. And, and so yeah. it was already scarce to begin with and add the evacuation uh, hotel rooms in South Carolina right now are quite scarce. Those yeah. darn Same in Charlotte people. because the race has begun. So I know it. Well, you know, an, another thing about, cause uh, I, you know, I've been talking uh, with the university uh, because they were asking me about weather conditions. I said, well, you know, quite frankly, I don't think the weather is going to be your biggest problem. The problem is going to be, do you have the security to actually put the yeah. game on? Because the state has already said the highway patrol will not be available. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk. Oh, and by the way, I might also add that Shaw Air Force Base is moving all their planes out. Yeah, they did that in Charleston too. All the jets and like fifteen billion dollars worth of helicopters. I mean, they're they're doing full scale military evacuations for all their equipment yeah. here. That's what I've been finding out. A couple of pilot friends. That's expensive stuff. Yeah. They don't yes. have hangers for all. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's good. It's probably good exercise because you know there's justification for it here at least, and it gets those rusty wheels turning after seventeen years. So, yeah. coming from Hampton Roads, where you know we've got every single military base on the planet, and it, it's almost typical just for them to bug out of town and go somewhere for a few days. And they just typically send all the jets to another military base. I saw the, uh, I think it was Jacksonville air force base or Naval base. Jacksonville mm -hmm. sent all their planes, P sevens and P eights over to, uh, uh, Houston actually. So, Must be nice. Uh, wow. A little far out there, but a nice little TDY for them. So, yeah. uh, let's see. I think we've pretty much have kind of touched on to a degree most of the sides of this storm, Scotty had a viewer question that came in um, talking about perhaps a worst case scenario. And I know we kind of always want to try to communicate the most probable and not the, you know, most deadly or unlikely scenario. But let's try, I guess, break it down per city. We were talking about Jacksonville earlier, and I, 
I'll answer, I guess, for Garrett, since I've looked a little bit into Florida, but I would say for Garrett, I mean, a worst case scenario is going to be storm going much further north and making landfall north of the space coast and closer to Jacksonville. You get higher winds, you've got a longer area of ocean heat content for it to work with. You would have a more direct impact. So you've got a northeast quadrant making landfall and the potential for a higher surge. I would feel like that would be the greatest worst case scenario for the Jacksonville area. Shay, what about uh, Charleston? I think you're muted, buddy. Sorry about that, Ricky. Uh, could you repeat that one more time, the, the, the question? We, were, we had a viewer that was just interested in like, you know, what's the worst case possibility for a storm like this? I'd say worst case possibility is that the storm re-intensifies as a stronger category four or even possibly even higher than that. It may not have enough time. Joaquin last oh, year, uh, you know, showed that it could happen in that area with these kind of conditions. It's in a moist environment, warm waters, low shear. Uh, that would be probably the worst case scenario is that it re-intensifies into a category four or a five and then hits the coastline or even rakes it. The further up the coastline it goes, the more damage it's going to do. So, I mean, a difference of 100 miles could be $100 billion. So that, you know, as far as uh, Charleston goes and, and South Carolina, North Carolina, you know, after Florida, you're talking about a widespread amount of damage along the southeast coast with a, a, a re-intensifying storm. So we just hope that it stays as a weaker Category 3 at the most, and hopefully it even uh, gets downgraded to Category 2 at some point sooner. Uh, before heading up the coastline. That way it does less damage. Of course, flooding is also a major concern with that. Any more intensification in the storm means more rain. And we're already looking at 20, let me see, let me do a quick screen share. I'm gonna show you what the WPC's outlook is right now for the five day spread. And uh, I just refreshed that. So this is the latest one. And you can see offshore along the Gulf Stream, 20.8 inches, 14.5 uh, just offshore of Florida and then you know, you start getting into less rain than that. But, I mean, look at the swath of rain and all of that accumulation possible along the southeast region. It's incredible. Uh, and so if the storm intensifies more, this these numbers will go up. Uh, and, and also slowing down would be the ultimate worst-case scenario. All right, what's happening there? All righty, sounds good. Um, Kit, we'll bring you in one second. I just want to have let Brad make any final comments uh, before he has to run. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go, go do the work thing. Um, I think a couple of things that um, Shay brought up are really good points. I think there's two things you worry about most. Um, <clears throat> obviously, wind and power outages are a big deal, but I really worry about the the surge and flooding because that ends up causing uh, many more deaths and many more. Um, long-standing issues for areas. So I think because of the shape of the South Carolina coast and the way it juts out there, that section between Jacksonville and Charleston, if you get a direct hit in there, um, you're pushing a lot of water into kind of a funneled area. There could be some huge storm surge and big time issues. And then up in Patrick's area, I think if it stalls on the coast and ends up dumping rain for days in Eastern North Carolina or even Southern, uh, the low country of South Carolina, um, you could have some big time freshwater inland flooding. Those to me would be two of the, the bigger concerns. And then in Florida, I think from a wind damage standpoint, going into Metro Dade County or further north up towards Fort Lauderdale um, would cause a lot of damage if it was a cat three or four going into those areas. Right. And sadly about the, about the whole thing about freshwater flooding is that we're already having that happen in some locations. Like I said, Fayetteville, 
got 13 inches of rain the other day, um, and that water's still draining. Uh, through the river basins and, and the tributaries. I think there's still a flood warning out for the Lumber River over in Lumberton. Uh, all the other flood warnings have been allowed to come down, but they're still in the action stage. So it won't take a whole lot for us to see, you know, maybe four, five, six inches rain. And what WPC's putting out for Wilmington is pretty much in the median of what our forecast is for the lower Cape Fear, which is five to 10 with isolated higher amounts, but even that, we were sitting there looking at the Euro today saying that may be conservative if that were to come to fruition. Yeah, Patrick, you guys also with, with Julia and then ex-Julia, I mean, that system hung around for almost two weeks in the Southeast and it just, man, I tell you, it was like relentless rain up there for you guys. So that also poses another problem when you have overly saturated ground and then you put winds on top of it in excess of 70 to 80 miles per hour, those trees are gonna come up, become uprooted very quickly. And it's not going to take very much for them to blow over. And that, and that's the kind of the thing that we've been harping on is because, you know, a lot of people – and I think uh, Dave Williams down there in Charleston, he actually put out a tweet last night that I wholeheartedly agreed with was that I think if some people after four times this summer already being affected by tropical systems and not much fanfare with them that there may be some complacency with that. They're like, oh, well, I didn't have a whole lot of stuff go on during Colin or Bonnie or Hermine or Julia, so why do I care about this one? And that kind of worries me in a sense. I think that people are taking precautions enough right now because whenever I went to the store the other day, I mean, the bread <laughs> aisle was gone. I mean, just obliterated. I mean, there, were pieces, there were pieces of Sarah Lee just all over the floor. Um, <laughs> And, and the wine aisle wasn't looking half bad either. I mean, it was t taken care of as well. So, you know, when we – I think people are taking precautions, but there are still some people out there that don't believe that this is actually going to be a, an issue for them, especially with that track that took it, the, the center line, off of the coast. And we have said so many times before in that the center of circulation could be anywhere within that, and the impacts are much wider than that little icon. So when you see that that track icon, the 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 impacts are much wider than that. You know that track icon. I think the I think right there at uh, two p.m. is like four hundred miles wide. So to say that there's some uncertainty there on where this thing's going to be, I think it's it's bounded to the south with the GFS and bounded to the north with the European at this point. Let me just add a, a, a note to that. When Hermine came through South Carolina, um, highest wind here in, in Columbia was around 39 miles per hour, but we had 7,000 power outages. Yeah, we so, were. I think we were pushing yeah, like I think we were yeah. pushing somewhere close to about 2,500 or something like that. Yeah. I actually was on a plane heading to Charlotte <laughs> during Hermine. Wow. I was going to a wedding. I, I missed both of these tropical systems in <laughs> September because I was going to weddings in all other places of the world. Um, I, I worked that morning and got on a plane, head, went to uh, Charlotte and got knocked around heading into Charlotte and then left right as Julia was making its loop back around. And I came back in the mess of Julia that was still there a week after I had left. And now Mother Nature's pissed. Really? <laughs> I don't. I don't know what I have done. I don't. You know, last night when we saw the the loop and it looked like oh, well, cautiously optimistic here. It's like somebody prayed up real good around southeastern North Carolina. <laughs> then this afternoon, I don't know what happened. Somebody got got angry and did the rain dance again. 
Yeah, brutal punishment, man. We've had heat and tropical systems nonstop in our area. Crazy. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah. I, I've thrown my hands up at this. Uh, gentlemen, I've got to run. It was great being with you, and uh, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. All righty. Thank you, Jim. We appreciate yeah. it. You're Hopefully welcome. under better circumstances. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Kit, you had a comment you wanted to make, and then I want um, Scotty to please comment on the inland impacts further in towards his areas of North Carolina. Yeah, so mine, uh, uh, like you said, this guy's going to talk about inland. Mine's still focused on the coast. One of the things we have to realize is that the track may end up being just uncertain enough that it's, like all of the forecast kinds past day or so have shown it following right along um, the coastline. And if the eyewall is hovering right along the coastline, um, the unpredictability of the eyewall is that it can sort of wobble east, west, north, south, and sort of look like it makes a jump to one side um, off of the main path. And it's that oscillation that we might have it parallel the coast all the way up to Jacksonville, and then suddenly it slams into Georgia. And there's not really any good resolutions from the models to show that small scale of an oscillation of the eyewall. So really anyone up and down the coast um, that has any sort of a close uh, a close path uh, with the center of the uh, cone um, should really take take into account that they might have a landfall wherever they are, and that's why you've got those hurricane warnings all up up and down the coastline right now. Good point. And, and anyone who knows the exact definition, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, for a landfall to actually occur at the center of the eye actually has to make landfall. So if you've got right. the western eyewall making landfall, that doesn't count, right? Right. So it, it has to be the center of the low pressure that crosses from sea to land. Um, but we could have the western eyewall just pound the whole coastline of Florida, and it never technically make landfall. That'll be what'll happen this storm. We'll have we'll go more years with a drought of no major hurricanes making landfall, but we'll get like a quarter of the eye water making landfall or something. Like that. <laughs> exactly. That'll be, that'll be our luck in the weather world. A quarter of the eye, you know. And, and also, like I've always kind of seen over the years that when these systems have interaction with land, they, there's a little bit of surface friction going on, so they tend to want to climb to the north if they're skirting it. So that's another reason why the system looks like it is just following the entire land, you know, the entire pocket of the southeast is because there's also some surface friction pulling it to the north. It's almost like, uh, um, you know, if you run your hand over something, you get friction, you get your, your elbow, you know, pulls into a certain direction. Um, it's kind of the same thing, but you, you know, it's, it's debatable. That's a very subjective topic, but I mean, it certainly looks like that's what the models are doing with it right now and also following around that ridge. But uh, Ricky, I did want to talk, say one more thing about some of the guidance for the system. If I could grab the screen share on this. Let me talk about, see if I can find it. Here we go. This is the uh, 300 millibar jet stream. So uh, this is what Brad was talking about earlier about the, the trough coming across the country. The GFS was reading this trough coming down across the United States. And this is upper air at 300 millibars, about 30,000 feet. Uh, and the jet uh, earlier was a little bit more pronounced down to the south. The dip came down further down towards Arkansas and Tennessee. Uh, so that's where the cold front and the trough was supposed to come down across that area. But as you see in time, that actually slips to the north of the southeast region. And the strong and jet 
stays to the northwest and to the north. Uh, so that is also another factor. I think that the European is reading into that upper air pattern uh, is, is, you know, keeping the system hugged into the coastline versus that easterly track earlier. It looks like it may happen a little bit later when that jet dips down just enough with that westerly flow by Sunday to start moving that thing off the coastline. You can see there by Monday that the track uh, or that the uh, westerly upper flow increases enough to do it. And at the 500 millibar level, I believe that this is a little bit uh, stronger with zonal flow at 18,000 feet. So that uh, actually helps push the storm further out. But that's another reason um, that I'm thinking why the Euro kind of slipped to that other scenario a little bit further north before that easterly push. Good analysis. I like it. I ain't mad at it. Back to, sorry, Patrick. I uh, know. I was just saying I ain't mad at it. I mean, no, it's it no, because I was thinking the exact same thing that, you know, it's been. I feel like I, I have to walk away from from weather for after this. <laughs> we we have been struggling so bad around around here. We're down to meteorologists. We're we're dealing with another tropical system and you know, possibly some fairly significant impacts and, and, and trying to couch that well in the age of social media has been a very interesting um, debate, uh, to say the least. I got in, you know, as James Spann likes to say, the trolls know it alls and what else? The uh, I've lost my train of thought at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my I'm with you, Patrick. Now? I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Almost <laughs> lost it a little bit. Too, too many going to go with the jet stream, you know. Yeah. yeah it's like, <laughs> but it's like, but but you know, it it goes back to you know we we are circling back to kind of the impacts and, and things of that nature. You know, it this is this is one of those things that I think folks need to stay aware to the situation because you may be seeing something that does change very quickly, and in a short order especially if something snaps back all of a sudden, if maybe there's an open alleyway all of a sudden on the modeling, um, you know, to finally get northward and gain latitude because all tropical systems want to do is gain latitude. They want to just get poleward. One point for me that I want to make before we uh, get towards wrapping up the show is it's interesting to look at some of the short range guidance. You've got HWRF, um, Let's not talk about it. models. We've got the HRRR, <laughs> which uh, wants to bring it in towards Miami. So keep that in mind, and we'll see how that verifies some of these high-resolution models, uh, seeing what they can do with hurricanes. Um, Scotty, let's get you in here. I know we've had this viewer question forever. Hopefully, they're still with us. If not, they know how to contact you. What are we looking at for uh, Western North Carolina? And then we'll get towards wrapping up this thing with some final thoughts. Yeah, we can. Uh, we'll talk about that, and then Patrick, stick around because I want to ask you two questions um, okay. after we do the uh, the impact here. But uh, I think James has got uh, some of those. James, if, since you're on the uh, Weather Hurricane Center, we pull up the uh, tropical wind or tropical storm wind probabilities and um, the U.S. rainfall potential. Basically, uh, for any any part of uh, Western North Carolina, even parts of Central North Carolina. I think we're going to see actually more rain from uh, the high pressure that is parked to our northeast, kind of backing in against the mountains over uh, Thursday night into Friday, uh, creating more of a, a wedge situation that's going to ring out some rain. And then as uh, Matthew approaches South Carolina, North Carolina, it may try to feed back some rain um, over the Charlotte area, Interstate 77. But as you can see, this is the rainfall potential. Uh, and it's a sharp cutoff anywhere um, outside of the low country of South Carolina, once you get up to places like Florence, uh, Columbia, thing, uh, places like that, 
Uh, not a lot of rain, maybe one to two inches at most. Um, this is all varied on the track. If the track does shift a little bit more westward, obviously we could see uh, more rain uh, in those areas. And then windy uh, conditions, I, I think, will probably be a big story like Brad was talking about on Saturday as we're starting to get that tropical system to move uh, through the area. We could see some some higher wind gusts, maybe 25, 30 miles per hour. But uh, uh, if you're in western North Carolina, upstate of South Carolina, even parts of central North Carolina, I don't think it's uh, going to be much of an issue, just kind of a cloudy, cool, rainy day, uh, but uh, nothing tropical-like uh, that you'll be seeing along the coast of, of North and South Carolina. And, and Patrick, I wanted to get this question to Jim uh, before he got off because uh, this time last year, you guys there in Wilmington, Jim in Columbia, Shea, I want to bring you into this as well uh, there in Charleston. You guys were dealing with Joaquin, and it seems like it's this time of the year, always something crazy is happening. But uh, have you kind of seen some some people kind of freaking out because of what they saw this time last year? Yeah. You know, it, it's weird to, to think about that. And I know uh, some of the South Carolina stations, uh, WIS, had just did a, a full-hour special on the floods, uh, I think, yesterday. Um you know, we were we were kind of on the northern fringe of it, and over four days, we got 15 inches of rain. Parts of our market got over 20 inches of rain, and when I say parts of our market, I really mean the very small area of southwestern Brunswick County. And from there on, I mean, it was just a mess. I mean, you go down to Myrtle, I mean, just under underwater. And Columbia, obviously. It was the the hardest hit it seemed like and stretching all the way down toward hey we we have an annual festival downtown called Riverfest. it's a big arts and, and music festival they for the second year had to cancel because of impending weather last year they waited until friday which if you remember friday we were starting uh the beginnings of the whole uh joaquin deal and at that point I think Wilmington was starting to get in on the rain, but it was more so in the Brunswick County that was seeing, you know, multiple inches of rain and it just rained and rained and rained. We got dry for Saturday and then Sunday it deluged once again. And I think we picked up a, a, like five or six inches of rain just on Sunday and it continued raining to Monday. And then finally all of a sudden it was like, okay, we're done here. Uh, I don't know what it is about this time of the year at this point. I mean, early, um, October seems to be a very interesting time uh, for southeastern North Carolina. Also, we're closing in on a time frame of hazel. And that's been brought up about 800 times in my face the last couple of days. This is looking more like hazel, more like hazel. Like Hazel came in at a perpendicular track to Brunswick County. This is not hazel. Okay, If that happens, then we got a whole other issue. But this is not hazel. And on that note, Pat, Real talk with Patrick has concluded for the night. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. I want to get one more thing from Patrick. I've got, I got one thing to add for Patrick, um, and and I'm just going to put this up on the screen. Let me know when you can see it. This really tells it all. This is this is it in a nutshell with what happened with Joaquin. Can you see it all right? Yeah. We got you, Shay. Okay. Here you go. And notice that I mean, it's not Joaquin that makes landfall. No, no. I mean, <laughs> that, that, tells the, that tells the entire story right there in a few seconds. <laughs> and I think, For us, I it was think, days long, but it was insane. <laughs> and I think we had the conversation after the floods. 
that no one was going to remember what happened. They would just remember the name Joaquin. That's the only thing that they remember is the word, the name Joaquin, even though Joaquin never got close to the States. Right. And I'm going to take this moment to do a shameless plug because the uh, intended scheduled purpose of tonight's show was originally going to be the one-year anniversary of the South Carolina floods. Obviously, with Hurricane Matthew, we had to change that. But if you are looking to kind of go into the time capsule and take a look at what was going on this time last year, uh, Scotty did a nice write-up, and it's on our new website, carolinaweathergroup.com. And with that, I will conclude the shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing before uh, – kind of a funny topic before we, we – jump off of here um, you know i'm funny so i mean i know and, and I, I love your i love your opinion i think you even maybe jumped in on some of this um this is the first major hurricane that we've had to deal with since social media and then last night i guess it was what after 11 30 12 o'clock when the new runs come in we've seen all these gifts come out of just funny things that the meteorologists are passing out so we always know the negative side of of social media um the trolls as we say but uh, I, I think it was kind of funny last night to watch everyone kind of throw their opinion out in these little animated gifs. I mean, what's your what was the, the craziest thing you saw, Patrick, or, or what, what's your thoughts on that? Maybe the more humorous side of, of what we do. I, I loved weather Twitter last night. <laughs> I, I was at the station until about 1.30. I get a text message from our chief meteorologist, Gannon Medwick, and he texts me and says, what just happened on Twitter? It's hilarious. And I said, I don't, I don't really know what just happened. Twelve Z, uh, the zero Z GFS happened. That's what happened. So the big thing is, you know, last night the zero Z GFS decided that it was going to have Matthew come up. It, it, it looked similar to the twelve Z guidance as it was going through the paces. Then it started to make the the loop like the European did. Well, instead of doing what the European did, which was weaken the system as it came back around on the backside of the ridge, it strengthened it as it was heading back towards South Florida and became like Andrew's cousin rolling up towards Miami-Dade County. And, and then all of a sudden shoots back off to the northeast. So, uh, you know, so everybody was like, wow, this is the craziest GFS run I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen some crazy GFS runs. So... Uh, then all of a sudden the gifts just started rolling in. And I think the funniest one that I saw, and I think Kit, you tweeted, retweeted it from somebody. And I just, I retweeted it from there. And it was of the GFS run. And if you've seen the gif of Homer Simpson backing away into the bushes, <laughs> I've got it. I've got it. It was the best thing I've ever seen on the internet. It made, it made me feel just perfect. Uh, here it is. Can you guys see it? Oh yeah, Scotty's got it. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's like <laughs> that was me all night last night. I was like, nope, no, nope, this is nope. So I, I that's, that's I, just a sampling. <laughs> I'm I'm laying in bed, and I mean, I guess as all meteorologists do, we always check our social media before we go to bed, and then you start seeing all this, and you just can't help but busting out laughing seeing some of these these things go off so it was weather twitter last night was amazing and um if you go back through twitter search hashtag matthew i'm sure you'll you'll be able to find some of those uh from last night oh yeah i got i think i got one let me let me see if i can get it up here um this is kind of funny and my brother posted it this morning i was like man matthew mcconaughey i don't know if you can see this or not <laughs> but yeah 
You know, I just, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Joaquin, they showed Joaquin Phoenix growing a beard as he was going north. It was just, you know, these things are hilarious, man. These things people put together. I love it. People have way too much time on their hands. <laughs> exactly. I can't, I don't have time to do this. I just made the gift, you know, quickly, you know, just like grab one real quick. But these guys take time to do this. I'm like, how do you have time to do this in all of this? Uh, oh, uh, there's been a right. suggestion made on YouTube, by the way, that we should do a spinoff show called Real Talk with Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. That uh, Real Talk with Patrick, that should just be a show in itself in general. Uh, we do that in the newsroom every single day. Just tune in at 4 o'clock on WECT. <laughs> if I call WECT and say, is this the Krusty Krab? Will you get really pissed at me? <laughs> <laughs> Please do that. If there's anyone in Patrick's DMA right now, please do that tomorrow. <laughs> please don't. We've had enough phone calls today. <laughs> the show well, goes downhill after nine o'clock. I tell you. Yeah, pretty much. Hold well, on for I just one second. I gotta go get. I gotta go get my uh, my charger because my my battery just decided it wants to die. So hold on for just a second. That's the indication of a good show going on. But anyway, we are trying to wrap it up, um, Scotty. Is there anything else you, you wanted to add or any of our panel members or anything you guys would like to add as well? I just say uh, if you if you live along the coast, uh, continue monitoring the situation. Um, it's very fluent. Uh, uh, a lot of stuff can happen in a short amount of time. So uh, if, you, if you have the ocean within 25, 30 miles of you, uh, pay attention. And I would seek shelter um, somewhere inland. But um, stay safe out there and uh, you can follow us on Twitter throughout the weekend. I heard uh, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley suggest today that you can hit up Airbnb if you uh, need a place to go. Yeah. So if you are on one of these roads tonight, and although the, the camera is empty uh, at this time, uh, Scotty, I think, just said he has some extra room in his place. <laughs> actually, so. <laughs> actually, I am, uh, I'm going to be spending the night in Charlotte. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah. Look how actually remarkably quiet the road is here at 9 o'clock at night, just outside Charleston. And I don't know about anybody else, and I understand exactly why it's happening. So I, I don't mean to sound funny, but I keep looking at these images with cars on both sides of the road, and my brain just keeps going, what the heck? <laughs> like, something's it's, it's not great. right here. It's great. I 26 I just it. got moved to Britain all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. See, I, got, I, I, one, I would just love to be in Charleston. Oh, sorry, go, go ahead. Okay, I, I was just gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say I would want to be in Charleston right now to just drive on the other side of the road for that reason alone. Go ahead, Shay. Just, just because you can. Uh, one quick thing to add. I wanted to show one little thing here. Um, this is the difference in wave modeling. So, uh, you know, look at wave model. I don't want to get too much into this, but you look at the Cape Canaveral buoy, and some of the wave models are taking this. Uh, the waves really high offshore, and we zoom in on that. You can see the wave heights getting up to 28 feet, and that's not very far offshore. Uh, but if we go back out to the coastline, where that actually has effects on the coast, we'll pick New Smyrna Beach nearby, and um, they're calling for at least along just the northern quadrant, immediate northern quadrant of the system, uh, for up to 12 feet. So you're talking, you know, 12 feet at 13 seconds. You're, you got a lot of swell going on there with the northerly wind tends to be side shore to offshore. So it's going to be pretty sloppy with a, with some some pretty heavy duty waves. So I imagine a lot of erosion, a lot of flooding are going to be going on in Florida in that area. 
and to bounce off of that, uh, because of our wind field being more easterly throughout this period, you know, we're going to have a, a good bout of issues with the, our east-facing beaches with erosion. And actually, we were looking at our sky cam from Wrightsville Beach earlier, and it's already starting to really lash. And we started talking about the potential for swells to increase. I think it, we started talking about that Friday, uh, about that potential. You know, once this thing got into the uh, uh, the Atlantic, it was going to start to slosh around the ocean, and we were going to start to see the swells as you know today and tomorrow beginning, and then starting to ramp up from there. So, if anybody's watching, you know, some of my people watching from Wrightsville Beach or uh, Pender County beaches top, up towards Topsail, you know, that erosion uh, occurs uh, it will be a be an issue uh, because of a constant onshore flow through the next several days, and even after. Matthew kind of leaves us behind. We can still continue with kind of a north to northeast flow behind it um, for the uh, several days afterwards. So that's not good um, when it comes to the potential for issues uh, with the uh, with erosion. And one thing I noticed, it, it was a couple of days ago. It was when it was before everything had that looping around, like Matthew fun in Florida, but. Um, there was one run that was showing showing the storm go up like right along like basically making landfall I think around Oak Island and there were a hundred knot winds that were blowing uh, west straight up the Noose River Inlet um, and I have a friend who lives in New Bern so we've got to keep in mind is like all these inlets uh, on the central eastern portion of North Carolina we're gonna have uh, easterly winds blowing water up stream into those inlets and that might be, play a factor into some just inland flooding uh, right there around the Noose River and I can't think of the river that's to the north of it but um <laughs> the Pamlico Pamlico that's right that's your that's your area I figured you would like, jump I in there I remember, I remember that part of the eastern North Carolina um <laughs> and, and, sa and same thing a little farther down talking about the the new river around mm -hmm. Jacksonville new topsail inlet uh a down towards Serenity Point on the south end of topsail island um also uh, water's going to get pushed up in there and into the ICW um a rich inlet uh, comes to mind uh, Mason's Inlet uh, between Figure Eight and and Wrightsville, and and just hopefully we don't have a, a bad onslaught of winds like that. But I, it looks like it's going to be a consistent thing for a couple of days, and already we've gotten, like I said, the the winds and way the the winds have already been up a little bit, uh, just because of the tightening of the pressure gradient with the with the uh, with the uh, wedge. So we've already got the northeast winds developing, and they've gotten a little aggressive, running between about 10 and 20 miles per hour today. The waves have already started to turn up. Wrightsville looked at, like a ghost town, and the, you could tell that the waves had started to crash way far up on the beach strand, like closer to the dunes, mm. uh, probably halfway up the beach strand today. And that's only going to get worse, unfortunately. Shoot, uh, Patrick, I'm, I'm seeing – all of our sensors along the coastline we're in the in mid to upper 20s gusting into the mid 30s I mean, wow it's, it's, it's up it's up along the coast i mean it's there's it, wind I, I i've just been sticking around on the inland side today and that's about <laughs> i have not i did not venture much outside of the uh out of the station this afternoon i, I went in at what 10 and it's my day off so i went yeah. in at 10 today it didn't leave until about seven tonight and you know it tomorrow will be similar and then friday we start the 12 on 12 offs 
Well, good luck up that way. If you need anything good luck to you down too. here in Charleston, just ask. Somebody and send wine. I keep telling people, just send wine up this way. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have one thing before we go off. This is a National Weather Service graphic out of uh, Melbourne, Florida, and I've never seen uh, this before. Uh, these are maximum wind gusts through October the 8th. Look at that, 136 wow. for Daytona Beach. What? Wow. 135 for Melbourne. So Boy, they must be seeing something uh, that I'm not. That's um, that's impressive. Mm. So, and that may be a run that has it uh, making landfall somewhere around there. Yeah, this was uh, just created. Uh, so, yeah, interesting stuff. Mm. Speaking of graphics, Scotty, and I'm, I'm attempting to bring it up now. My computer is about had it for the night. I saw this really interesting graphic on the Weather Channel, channel earlier, and I screenshotted it, and I, I meant to tweet it. But actually, I thought this did a pretty good visual for Florida of showing the timing and the, the strength of the impact um, for these different key locations. And I thought that was kind of a, a, an interesting, different approach to showing this as opposed to trying to overlay it onto a, a map. And so uh, in terms of graphics, I thought that was interesting. And also, I think worth noting, uh, not to push a Weather Channel product or another channel too much, but uh, they are experimenting with their local now product and over-the-top streaming service that you can get on mobile apps and other things. So uh, I noticed uh, as of yesterday, they just started, instead of giving Charlotte the looping Charlotte News straight simulcast of the Weather Channel, obviously, as they're putting all their, their resources towards it. Uh, Patrick, you're getting a lot of love on our, our YouTube channel tonight. So um, I guess we'll start with uh, giving you the opportunity to let people know where they can find you uh, on on most nights. On most nights, I, I do comedy downtown in uh, downtown Wilmington <laughs> and day pro comedy. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> typically you uh, uh, easy to find me. I'm on Twitter, Patrick Ellis w, WX, and also on Instagram with the same um, screen name. And on the Facebooks, Patrick Ellis Dash Meteorologist. And again, uh, you know, some people know I, I, I think I've lost my mind, and that's why I'm crazy. I'm usually not like this when I'm on on Carolina Weather Group most Who of the time. Who are you kidding? You are. <laughs> I wasn't well, going to be the one to say anything. Well, here, here, here's, the th here's the thing. I, I, had, I had an issue the other day. Somebody told me that I was downplaying the storm way too much and that I, that I wasn't doing my job. And I went back and looked at my forecast. And I said, I, I had to write back to her and say, I don't understand what you're saying because everything that you told me that I didn't say I said so. Uh, I, I guess I need to get not be so silly, but that's just who who I am. I, I'm just kind of a lighthearted person, lighthearted to uh, get through things like this. Be who you are. That's yes. how we like you. And it does seem after the nine o'clock hour, this became Carolina Weather Group after dark. If you're looking for the serious, <laughs> yeah. straight yeah. forecast, just rewind the YouTube a little. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, take us home. All right. Uh, since I'm doing the uh, the shameless plugs uh, for tonight, I'm going to pop this up on your screen. Uh, we have so many folks who are joining us on uh, various platforms, including YouTube tonight for the first time. Thank you so much. Please do subscribe. We are here every Wednesday night. Uh, we focus mainly on the Carolinas, but but Piedmont and across the United States as, as weather does uh, spark our interests. Uh, many of you have asked who the heck we are. Uh, so we do have extended bios on our website, carolinaweathergroup.com. Uh, we are uh, varying weather nerds, folks who are actively in the uh, weather community, those who are uh, working it one way or the other or actively studying it. So uh, we do hope you check us out. And uh, with the storm like this impacting so many people over the next few days, of course, the uh, Carolina Weather Group will be uh, doing much more than just our normal uh, Wednesday night stand-up. Uh, so we do encourage you to follow us 
on social media uh, so that we can keep you updated uh, throughout the weekend and anytime a big storm like this happens. Scotty? Sounds good. Ricky, if you, um, get a new, if you get a new burn, good luck. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to make one note. If you guys haven't checked out some of the products from the Weather Service in Melbourne, they are uh, very eye-opening. It's some of the new impact-based hurricane local statements the Weather Service is putting out now. I saw them the first time we had Hermine move my area into Hampton Roads. I wasn't too keen on them at the time, but they are uh, very effective for communicating the potential threats that are posed by this hurricane down the Melbourne Daytona Beach area. So check those out. If you haven't, um, you may see me in New Bern. If not, We'll be watching cars make left turns at Charlotte this weekend, pending no rain. So. That's right. Come find Ricky and I. We have, uh, we're actually going to be at the track Saturday night, but we're not on, on duty to forecast the weather. That's for someone else. So we're going to go have fun and walk around. So come hunt us down and tell us, hey. Uh, Patrick did get an offer to head to Florida with some wine. Uh, so <laughs> maybe maybe you guys will get some uh, love on the track. <laughs> <laughs> No, I already cleared out the uh, the wine store at the. Uh, at oh, I, I think it was Jill in the YouTube chat says she's got more. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I posted something on my Facebook page. Somebody else got mad about that because I said that I went and got some juice boxes, and it was it was Karen from Will and Grace with with wine boxes. So I'm uh, horrible. I am the worst. Everyone. Uh, Jill says it wasn't her. I'm sorry, Jill. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm surprised we still have people watching. So. I can't believe. <laughs> This show went down the tube so bad. It was supposed to be so serious. Well, Again, we got, I checked, we had 14 thumbs up and one thumbs down. I can only imagine the thumbs down was Joey. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, how about we just get a quick little uh, roll call on who's watching and everyone go follow us on Twitter. How about that? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, look at our, uh, our, bottom th our, our bottom third and you can go follow us. So. Next week, Marshall Shepard joining us, communicating flooding. So I'm sure we'll have uh, some case studies uh, to follow after uh, this week's events with Matthew. So join us next week with uh, Dr. Marshall Shepard, host of the Weather Geeks on the Weather Channel. And uh, he's going to be talking about how to effectively communicate flooding. And then after that, uh, on the 19th, we're going to do our originally planned show with uh, Jim Gandy and Ed Piotrowski and Rob Fowler. Uh, hopefully we'll have those guys back on the 19th to talk about the South Carolina floods. So uh, if you live along the coast, uh, stay safe. Make sure you're following Patrick. If you uh, live in the uh, southeastern North Carolina area, follow Shay. If you're in the Charleston area, follow Garrett. If you are in Jacksonville and for everyone else, um, follow us all. We'll make sure that we uh, will get all the information out to you. So stay safe and we'll see you next week.